Ladies and gentlemen, this is Current Yield, uh, Grant's interest rate observer of the air. I am Jim Grant, and with me uh, today, as always, Eric Whitehead, who is at the console, spinning the dials. He's our engineer, and Evan Lorenz, the great Evan Lorenz, deputy editor of Grant's. And uh, our special guest is none other than Bob Farrell, the great market technician who uh, Merrill lived for so many years, was by himself in his own cell for so many years, and uh, is in Florida at the moment, living large, but still, I think, knowing more about the business of buying low and selling high than most of us who do it every single day for pay. So, Bob Farrell, welcome to Grant's podcast. Thank you, Jim. Um, We have known each other for, what, uh, 102 years or like that? At least that. At least that. Bob Farrell was actually born at the bottom, no? Were you born around July 5th, 1932? No, I wasn't born until November 15th, but uh, I was in the general region of a (laughs) major low in secular trends. Would you consider this a major low, Bob? Uh, Where we are now? Yeah. No. We've been going down for as many as, like, what, seven or eight days? People are panicked. Well, I think people are clearly concerned, but I don't think I detect panic except there are individual stocks like Pacific Gas and Electric that today down 25% on news. But in general, we're, we're seeing some things show up like a pickup and put buying, but I don't see extreme fear or any kind of extreme fear, yes. not, not at this point yet. What does this moment in markets remind you of? I ask because it seems we have been living through rather extraordinary times. We have had 10 years of, uh, not quite 10 years, we've had many years with the juxtaposition of kind of depression level level interest rates in boom time asset value. We have had on the authority of uh, Richard Silla, uh, the uh, very knowledgeable financial historian at NYU, we have had interest rates we have not seen in some cases for 3,000 years. And yeah. we have had a regime, uh, supposedly, of the uh, final triumph of passive investing over the active kind. All of these things have come together more or less at this moment. And how do you begin picking apart what is new and what is the same in market? Uh, we seem to have some of both. Well, my opinion has been for some time that we live in or with distinctive markets. There's been a lot of change ranging from computerized trading, decimalization, algorithmic trading, dark pools, elimination of the uptick rule, and specialist system virtually gone, and decline in stocks traded by 50% in the last 10 years, more ETFs than there are stock traded. And the banks taking a larger percentage of trading on the close, which had previously been mainly done on the exchange. And these things all contribute to a a different market, as I see it. And I consider it the ultimate contrarian market. I think there are traps everywhere. And the traps are related to lack of liquidity, changing rules in the game. Uh, I've seen many times here where Whatever you see from the market, and I'm not talking about the background interest rate news or what we expect from the Fed, but I'm talking about how the market itself is behaving. And I call a trap when a stock breaks out to make new highs like we did in January. All the averages were making new highs. Fred was making new highs. And bang, we went down 10%. There was no escaping it. And we did virtually the same thing with a bunch of new highs in September. And it looked like onward and upward, it's everything is fine because we've overcome all the technical obstacles. And from that, we've started into this more extensive decline. And that that enters into my thinking on how how things are going to go. It, It just seems to me you can't use the recent past, let's say the last year or two, as your 
example of how it's going to behave in the future, how the market's going to behave in the future. I believe that this is a distinctive change that we've had, and you you almost see the plan in effect to play against the obvious. And maybe that always has happened. But for example, with all the breakouts that occur, and the breakouts are generally not buy points, I mean, the upside breakouts, they're sell points. And I think that may relate to algorithmic trading programs that have been designed to take advantage when people are getting most enthusiastic about buying and putting in some sell programs. But I, I don't know how it quite works. But I do know that there have been a lot of traps. Just take the price of oil, for example. When the price of oil broke out through $72, it was like four-month, four-year highs. And it had all the forecasts coming up with things like we're going to... 85, 100. And from there, it was no distribution, just a reversal. And we're now we're down in a straight line, like 27, 28%. And maybe that's you know going to be climactic. But from looking at what the market is doing, it is making it harder and harder to be a, a good trader or anybody following technical things like you got to have a breadth divergence yeah. before it. Hey, now we're working for my sponsor, whose name is Purple. So here's a question, ladies and gentlemen. How did you sleep last night? I can speak for myself. I slept uh, a little fitfully because of the mattress. Now, if I had a good mattress, I would not be thinking about deadlines. I wouldn't be thinking of getting up at oh dark hundred to catch a plane for Chicago. I would not be thinking about the uncorrected proofs of the next book. No, I would be sleeping properly. So you're wondering, how is Purple different from other mattresses? Well, it, it will probably feel different because it uses this brand new material that was developed by an actual rocket scientist. It's not like the memory foam you might be used to. The Purple material feels unique because it's both firm and soft at the same time, so it keeps everything supported while still feeling really comfortable. Plus, it's breathable, so it sleeps cool. It ends up giving you this zero-gravity-like feel, so it works for any sleeping position. So here are the proof points. 100-night risk-free trial, backed by a 10-year warranty, free shipping and returns, free in-home setup, and old mattress removal. You're going to love purple. And right now, our listeners will get a free purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. That's in addition to the great free gifts they're offering statewide. Just text GRANT, G-R-A-N-T, to 474747. The only way to get this free pillow is to text G-R-A-N-T to 474747. That's G-R-A-N-T to 474747. Message and data rates may apply. Thank you, Purple. Bob, uh, number two of your 10, uh, 10 rules is that excesses in one direction will lead to an opposite excess in the other. We certainly have had seemingly excessive lows in interest rates, very low interest rates. Do you expect this to be reversed? Yes. I think um, a 35 maybe it's longer than that year, bull market and bonds has ended. I think that the odds are that bond returns are going to continue to be disappointing. But I think it's with cyclical interruption. Like right now, one of the interesting things is the 10-year bond yield has broken out. It broke out around 310, maybe or 36, and we ran up to 325. So that looks like you know we're onward and upward for interest rates. But my feeling is each time we've gotten these kinds, of, my observation really is each time we've gotten these kind of obvious signals that the markets are on their way to wherever we hope they're going or think they're going, something, there's a reversal that takes place. And there's been plenty of them. For example, when small caps made their high in September, it was straight down 
everything was in gear, and yet they topped and straight down 16% in two months. Housing made new all-time highs in January, and they've been down for nine months, 35%. And most of these cases, there's no chance to get out on a rally. So I'm, I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty big thing about what, what happens to interest rates <laughs> right here, obviously. But I, I think there's a, there's a chance that this breakout we've seen on the Treasury bond yield is not going to follow through. And I don't know what will be the trigger to that, but I think from a, a technical standpoint, I'm skeptical that this is going to follow through. And that will have implications for a number of things. Is this a bear that, market in the stocks or a bull market in the stocks, in your opinion? Well, I, I think you have to judge about where we are now with, with stocks. Stocks have gotten very oversold and now have had a rebound rally that's apparently failing or going back for some test. But I think the way I'd look at it is if we made the peak in, in stocks recently or January and in September with everything in gear on the upside, I think we're going to make the low with everything in gear on the downside. And my guess is that low is going to come in this between now and the end of the year. We do have a, a good chance that you know, some seasonal factors will come in, but we're, we're very oversold. But I think if the market breaks either the, red, the low we made recently in, in various averages or the February low that was made this year, I think then it'll be look like it's open end on the downside. But we'll already have been down substantially. Yeah. I mean, Probably, many stocks yeah. are in major bear markets already. One of the things that uh, perhaps is a little bit different today than uh, in many eras in the past is that the, uh, the Federal Reserve is so much in our lives. It is front and center in the news. It is seemingly the hand that guides us all in our temporal affairs. It's almost as if the umpires were playing the game and Bert Stop was in the stands watching him. I wonder if the stocks do break to lows the end of this year, might the Fed not uh, uh, capitulate in its program of raising rates? And if that were to happen, what might happen to the price of gold? Well, um, I think the the odds to me is that um, we are going to get a, a rally in the in the price of gold. That gold has acted very poorly for a good deal of the past several months. But um, it, it kind of gets down to do lower rates uh, for a, an interim period, uh, some cyclical period. Say the Fed says something like they're not going to be as aggressive in raising rates next mm -hmm. year because the economy seems you know, to be slowing down. Um, I would think you, with a market that's been already correcting as much as it has, you could get the conditions for a good rally. Now, whether gold rallies kind of depends on whether the dollar responds to lower rates with more strength because they do seem to go uh, in opposite directions. But um, I think the chances are that even that bullishness about the dollar continuing to go up may get a fake out in, in the sense that the breakout doesn't follow through. So I'd, you... I'd say, yes, I, I think there's a, a chance for gold to do better. What do you um, do with money? Well, treasury bills are good. And from my standpoint, markets are going to be different going forward. I think on a on sort of a secular basis, we've seen a secular high in bond prices. And I think we're in a transition to a longer period, maybe uh, several years or maybe a decade of lower rates of return. The last 10 years, if you take 10 years uh, ending October of this year, we have a 
uh, average return on the S&P total return of 13 and a quarter percent. Now that's above the average of 9.8, which is the 90-year average. Or some people say that the measure of the market really should be a 7% return. But in any event, we've gone through a, a series of periods where the market does return to the mean, and the rates of return return to the mean. Or if that's a little double counting there, but I think from the standpoint of uh, what happens from here, I think passive investing has become the only way to go. I heard recently of someone on a committee in a, a uh, investment company that has declared that they don't want to, that, that they, don't, they shouldn't buy companies anymore. They should just buy ETFs. And we know we've had this huge inflow of money into them. And that has benefited people. Passive investing has beat the active investor. And I think that's going to change. And I think it started to change this year in the first half of the year. And now that the market's gone down, the passive investors are doing better again. But I think this is the start of a change. So one of the things I don't want to do is concentrate or concentrate money on market passive representations because I think the returns are going to be below normal, below average. And going into next year, I think the um, the stocks that have been killed the most in advance of recognizing that the stock markets could, can go down, like the housing stocks down 35%, or some of the, some of the oils and material and small caps that had been going fine, and even the regional banks, all, all of, most of those can do better with lower interest rates. So there's, there's something coming that uh, says to me, I, I, I want to make a, uh, an, an entry position into more equity, even though right now I'm light on equity and high, high on cash. But I think that uh, we will have a, a pretty good recovery from the, the bottom that we make, as long as the bottom isn't what we have right now. I mean, if this turns in, we get a bounce on the market. That's not, to me, something that you're uh, likely to have a, a large potential yeah. in. So, Bob, uh, I think people, they, people are prone to talk about bear market territory. And as far as the general public is concerned, because they read this all the time in the Wall Street Journal, for example, 20%, 20% down is a bear market. Is that your idea of a bear market? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a number that people use. And, and, you know, if we use that strictly, then we haven't had the longest bull market in, in history because 2011, we had that much of a decline and or maybe it was 19.9 in the S&P, but other things went down more. It, it, all of these labels that we use are are crutches. They're, they're, they're made for headlines and identify something. Right now, what would we say about Apple? Is Apple in a bear market because it's down 20% more and more? Well, we, do we say that about you know a, a number of things? The housing area certainly is in a, in a bear market. But I, I, the way I look at it, you've, you've got so many conflicts, growth versus value, for example. And now we're hitting growth, so that's helping value. But value is already down. So I think when the market bottoms, that's why the stocks in the value area are probably going to have the biggest bounces initially. But if the economy is slowing down, we'll go back to growth in sometime during next year. And this is the pattern of the market in just forever, which is the market educates you by the way it acts. 
like if we have a very low volatility period for an extended time, you know the risk is increasing, but you don't know, you know, when the black knight has come crashing through the, the doors to interrupt party. But nevertheless, that's the kind of markets we're in. We're in markets that where as soon as you get comfortable with what's really working is when you should be most concerned. And you've seen it all all year in this, this past year. It's why people managing money on an active basis are having a tough time. Because by the time they figure out what's going to do well, like who benefits from higher interest rates or who benefits from lower interest rates, we just keep going back and forth between risk on, risk off, defensive or cyclical. And it hasn't been, there hasn't been consistency. So all we can do now is look for the next, the next change. And I think Timing is going to be more important as we go ahead, even though it's, uh, you know, on, on a long-term basis, buy and hold is what works the best. But you get the most people preaching buy and hold at market tops mm. because they want to feel comfortable buying at high prices. And there's, I, I don't know how much of a distribution pattern, how far we are into a distri- distribution pattern in the market, but I know that a lot of stocks are already well along in bear markets and maybe ready to bottom to go the other way for a time. And so I, I think that I want to be gearing up with some cash to put into stocks as we go toward the end of this year. Bob, you, you have, if, you if, if there is, if my my assumption, which is you know it's always dangerous, you make an assumption and if it doesn't fit with what you think, you can be left behind because the market does something different. But nevertheless, I think when people get to the point of thinking open end on the downside, then I think we have the chance for a a pretty good low that will at least give us a, a good intermediate or counter cyclical move. Bob, having had a front row seat on all this since the 1950s, what does this era uh, remind you of most? Well, I I think it's it's distinctive. We're we're in the sense that there's so many things happening that I haven't seen before. I mean, when I talk about the market with traps, it, I'm sure it's happened before, but I don't see that there is a period that I can recall where it's just like this. I mean, the markets. I know you shouldn't say it's different this time, but we've been developing into something different. And it's why I believe that using the recent past for your precedent on what's going to happen or, you know, just looking at the the traditional thing of the idea that when you get an inverted yield curve, uh, then you're getting a warning that the market might be near a top. And we're getting a lot of damage here without uh, having had the yield curve inverted yet. So the market's are, uh, I think, distinctive here. Uh, Bob, you, you said that the markets are dangerous and it's hard to predict. At our um, fall conference, Dan Drunkenmiller said that he's having trouble reading the market because algorithms so distort the price signal that he's no longer getting the information that he would normally get from you know, buying and selling and market opinion. Do you think that the market's less instructive as a teacher now than it used to be? You know, it's, it's a problem that I'm having, which is I want to believe what I've learned over many, many years. You know, like there's a breadth divergence before every top and there's markets follow through with momentum when they break out or they break down. And a lot of that isn't working. And I think it is the algorithmic programs that have been set up to trade against the obvious on the charts or on the signals that we look at. And in some ways, that's 
that's uh, probably true of the sentiment numbers as well. Like right now, we have conflicting sentiment numbers. Put call ratios looking good. That's why I think there may be a bottom between now and the end of the year that'll be at least tradable. And I think the other things, though, are it's something that we uh, have to learn from and figure out what's the right contrary to make. I, I know I'm, I'm not speaking clearly here, but I, I do agree with what Stan has said about that. And for me, it's it's been a similar problem. But I'm I'm trying to turn it around and saying I'm going to go against the obvious each time. And I would say four out of five times that's going to work. What's the obvious now that one should fade? How does one be contrary now? The breakout in the Treasury yield. That to me seems to be a contrary or potential contrary. It hasn't failed that, yet. That, that rates that rates in fact might come down. Right, right. Rates come down as the next yeah. step. Yeah. Even though I think the long term or the secular trend is changing for rates. I've forgotten what year it was, but you gave some advice uh, not so long ago to college graduates that uh, the financial world is changing and perhaps will not be so profitable a career path as it had been and that manufacturing might be the thing to do. How would you couch that advice now? Well, I do think that the financial business is changing and it has been supported by the Fed having a very easy policy and very low interest rates that say there's no place to go but the stocks. But that's changing. And I think uh, lower rates of return will be changing. I think there'll be less uh, opportunity in the financial area once once you get the recognition that stocks aren't having the kind of returns that uh, are expected. I think the pension funds are going to have trouble with that, particularly since uh, the, a lot of the public ones are underfunded. But I think on a, in, a, in a general basis, it's something that is likely to continue to make it difficult to make money in the stock market. And then there'll be certain areas that'll do well. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of different things like analysts are are not as in demand, in my opinion, now that we have so many ETFs because uh, right. you know they just buy the, the stocks because they fit in the sector or what uh, fit in an index. And you don't need an analyst to tell you that. You've got a different type of guy, a mathematician maybe. But uh, the and, and the manufacturing is something that I just took as an example of what's out of favor and nobody wants to go there, then that's probably where an opportunity is developing. And I think that's still likely true, but it's maybe, you know, what is manufacturing? Is it manufacturing computers and technology uh, systems or is it uh, steel and copper and basic yeah. stuff? So uh, one, it, of the, one of the things we've, we've uh, we say we uncovered, Evan Lorenz uncovered it, was the fact that uh, there are upwards, almost not quite, a trillion dollars worth of so-called unicorns out there. That is to say, privately held companies that uh, are valued by someone at uh, a billion dollars or more. Uh, Uber mm. being, of course, a preeminent example with a, a prospective value associated with the investment bankers on uh, $120 billion on some imagined future IPO. What do you say about these things, about the prevalence of private equity, about uh, these non-traded private uh, companies, especially in the light of the shrinkage of public companies? Does that tell you anything about the market environment? Well, it kind of combines with the 
buyback of shares, which are you know setting records again at very high prices, or the the bottom of a cycle that nobody wants to buy, or the yeah. you, you look at the figures, they don't buy back. But with that said, it, it just seems like you're, you're getting more and more illiquid if you're going to be emphasizing more and more private equity firms, and it will contribute to illiquidity in the. Uh, exchange or the traded market. I, I know people make the case that algorithmic trading is really increasing acti- activity and therefore liquidity, but you, you see stocks disappear 10% overnight, 20% overnight, and this is a like an institutional market, but uh, I, I think that there's two things. One, I, I think if you're going to get more and more involved in private equity, you're going to have less and less liquidity when you may need it, when you have to find Find some way to raise money. And I, I think also from the standpoint of active versus passive, probably the turning point for active managers doing well on a consistent basis again is when one of the leading magazines will run a cover story on the death of active investing. That hasn't happened yet as far as I know, but it's a, an interesting comment. But I think from the standpoint of hedge funds, which also fits into this, hedge funds have disappointed people because they went to hedge funds because they were afraid. They didn't want to get hit with 2008 again. And so now that returns are going down, they don't want to be in hedge funds because they didn't do so well in them before. Your ninth rule among 10 rules to live by says that uh, when all the experts and forecasts agree, something else is going to happen. What are the uh, pernicious consensuses or the pernicious consensus that you see today? Well, it's certainly that rates are going higher, bonds are going down. Recently in September, we had the highest uh, short position on uh, bonds, I think, or on bond futures ever, or, or certainly in many years. But I, I think the the whole picture is uh, is clouded uh, for me. I, I can't tell you what everybody thinks right now, other than that rates are going up, the economy is going to be okay, earnings are going to be higher next year. And I, I think there's there's lots of room for disappointment in, in the forecasts that are there that, that I, I see as the sort of majority forecast. Uh, Bob, I know one of the uh, things that you have dedicated your very rich life to is the New York Foundling. Uh, you were a trustee for a long time, and indeed the Foundling uh, honored you with, right. uh, and just, I guess just recently, right? The, 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 uh, tell us week. what the Founding does and uh, how we might help the Founding do what it does. Well, the New York Foundling is a is an organization that takes care of uh, children at risk. And they have a a number of programs that they uh, follow from taking care of um, mothers who are single mothers that can't take care of the children themselves. And that's kind of the way people think of the New York Foundling, baby left on the doorstep and the nuns come out and take care of the baby. But um, that has gone into foster care. And there's a a series of other things. The one that I'm most enthusiastic about is the the educational program, the, the New York Foundling has sponsored a school called the Mott Haven Academy 
and it's a charter school. And the, the whole idea was they served that community with all kinds of social programs and, and foster care help. And But this is the first time they've stepped into education as a way of ending the cycle of poverty. So what they've, they've done, you know, early intervention and access to quality education is, to me, a great way to help a community out of its uh, cycle of one generation after another not doing well. And Mott Haven happens to be one of the poorest counties in the country. And so it's uh, quite an experiment and it's going very well. So if anyone is interested, I can get them more information on all the things that the Foundling does and would certainly appreciate any support they can give. Yeah, well, New York Foundling, on, I dare say, on the World Wide Web, good way to reach them. Dave, Bob uh, Farrell, thank you for being with us. It's been a delight. Uh, ladies well, and gentlemen, thank, thank you. you for listening in and we'll see you next time on Current Yield. Thank you.